here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations. Limited time only. Plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Do I have everybody's attention now? That you stand for. Wrestling Podcast. I am Joe Lanza, and we're going to be doing something a little bit different this week. Rich isn't here. It's just me. I'm flying solo. We don't have a guest. We don't have Rich. It's just Joe. So you're stuck with me. We're going to do a a quick show. See, I was talking to Rich earlier today, and when I say today, I mean Monday, uh, because I don't know when you guys are going to eventually listen to this. And we were trying to plan out when we were going to record this week's podcast, and normally we do them on Wednesdays or Thursdays. But um, you know our calendars just weren't meshing this week, and it looked like we were going to have to skip a week. But I figured, you know what, I'm going to give it a go alone because uh, we've got some stuff that I think needs to be talked about. We got Dominion coming up this weekend, the big New Japan Pro Wrestling Dominion show, which if we don't do a show this week, you guys aren't going to get an audio preview of that show. So uh, I'm going to do that for you today. We also had a situation earlier today where uh, we received an email from Pat Buck of all people, from uh, Pro Wrestling Syndicate. And he took issue with some of the things we said about Pro Wrestling Syndicate on the last podcast. So I did want to address that as well on the air. And uh, he actually addressed that situation on his podcast earlier today. And, and you know what, we'll get into all that. We're going to do New Japan first. And then we're going to talk a little bit about Pat Buck and Pro Wrestling Syndicate and uh, the situation that went down between uh, between this show and uh, Wrestling Syndicate earlier today. So, but let's kick things off with some New Japan talk, and we're talking about Dominion. That's coming up. It's this uh, Saturday, the twenty first. I think that's a Saturday, right? Yeah. So late night Saturday, early morning Sunday, depending where you live. If you're in Europe, it's going to be early morning Sunday. Uh, if you uh, actually, yeah, right, the twenty first. No, no, I got that wrong. Actually, it'll be late night Friday, 
early morning Saturday, depending on where you live, because the show is actually taking place on the 21st in Japan. can never get that straight. Uh, but uh, that's their uh, next big show. It's going to be from Osaka. And it's an interesting main event because it's kind of a risky main event. And, you know, with the new promotional model in New Japan, they're sort of flip-flopping the major shows. On one show, the IWGP heavyweight title will headline. On the next show, it's the Intercontinental title that headlines. And this time, it's the Intercontinental title's turn. Shinsuke Nakamura defends against Bad Luck Fale. Very interesting. Uh, whether this match is going to draw or not. But, there could be a match underneath, which could help that main event draw, or in actuality end up being the primary draw on the show. There's a lot of people who are saying, including Dave Meltzer for one, that it may have actually been smarter, or the better move, to headline this show with the IWGP Junior Heavyweight title match, which is Kota Ibushi defending against Ricochet, who won the best of the Super Juniors. I don't know if I agree. Listen, if they would have headlined with that match... I wouldn't have called it a mistake. As Dylan Hales pointed out a couple days after Super Juniors wrapped up, this junior heavyweight title match between Ibushi and Ricochet is probably the most highly anticipated IWGP junior heavyweight title match, at least in the last decade. Let, let you know he his point was the last decade, so let's keep it in that time frame. Um, and I really can't think of one which was a bigger match going into the match. Now, there have been IWGP Junior Heavyweight title matches where that have been great matches, and then after the match, it turns out that historically, they're big-time title defenses because of how the match went down, or a big title change, or somebody winning the title for the first time, or a great match-of-the-year contender. But heading into the match, I tend to agree this match here is probably the biggest IWGP Junior Heavyweight title match in a long time. You have Ricochet, who's having a tremendous year. Uh, just you know, We've talked about that last week and the week before a little bit. But Ricochet is really having uh, the best year of his career. And he's just having, you know, in, in, in a year where there's not an obvious wrestler of the year contender, this guy's in the mix. I mean, you know, there's no question about it. Ricochet's in the mix if you're looking at, you know, uh, these year-end awards, whether you're voting for uh, Wrestler of the Year or an or Observer Award vernacular, it would be Most Outstanding uh, Wrestler of the Year, where it's just where you take into account what happens bell to bell. But even the Flair Fez Award and the Observer Awards, which takes business into account, there's no one wrestler really setting things on fire at the gate this year. You've got Daniel Bryan injured, uh, John Cena, uh, who would normally be a front runner and, and probably, to be fair, still is, has sort of been... Uh, slotted a little bit lower on the card and is clearly not having one of his uh, big time years uh, in terms of uh, in terms of business uh, headlining shows and and uh, being at the top of the card. So these type of awards are wide open this year, and there's no reason a guy like Ricochet, who's having such a fantastic year in ring, uh, can't sneak in there and win an award like that. So and and you know he's coming off a, a big best of Super Juniors win over Kushida in the finals, which people love that match. That's that's going to be a, a match of the year contender itself. Um, he was the open Dream Gate, the open to Dream Gate champion in Dragon Gate uh, for a couple of months when he returned to that promotion. He's the current open the Freedom Gate champion in Dragon Gate USA, and he won that belt 
in a fantastic match of the year contender against Johnny Gargano in New Orleans at WrestleMania weekend. I was there live. Uh, tremendous match live. Uh, you know, most people who saw that match consider that match a, a match of the year contender. He's been in Matt, you know, his, his, the match where he lost the open, the Dreamgate title to Yamato is probably another match. I mean, every time this guy steps in the ring, he has a match of the year contender. I mean, Ricochet has been outstanding. I think mean, guy's been phenomenal. So, and, you know, and Kota Ibushi as well has been on, you know, a hell of a tear ever since he, uh, started working New Japan and DDT. Now, working both promotions, quote unquote, full time. And, you know, I really shouldn't say quote unquote. I mean, he's legitimately giving it a go and attempting to work full time for both of these promotions, but it is wearing on him. I mean, the reason he didn't work best as Super Juniors, he cited exhaustion. I mean, the guy's tired. His body's beat up. But that hasn't stopped him from producing in the ring. He's still having great matches every time he steps in the ring as well. And you know the uh, the overriding theme with Ibushi is clearly they're setting him up for a heavyweight run somewhere down the line. Because he keeps losing these heavyweight matches against heavyweights where he gives a spirited effort but comes up a little bit short in the end. And they're telling you the story that he's not quite ready to be a heavyweight. But at some point... You know, he's going to get that big heavyweight win. It's going to propel him to the next level. So he'll defend here against Ricochet in the middle of the card. It's actually positioned as the match right before the intermission. So you know they're going to let these guys go and have a killer match because then they're going to let the crowd come down during the intermission so they don't bury whoever comes after them. So it's a good position on the card to be. If it's not going to be a main event or a semi-main event, you kind of want this match where it is on the card right before the intermission, where these guys can just let loose and have a tremendous match and not have to worry about who has to follow them. Because, you know, it's just going to be the intermission. It's going to be people walking around the concourse buying hot dogs or whatever it is they eat in ramen noodles, whatever it is they eat in Japan, in the Osaka uh, Prefectural Gymnasium. I mean, I have no idea what the hot item there is. But... uh and of course, at the intermission, they're going to announce the, the presumably going to announce the G1 blocks, which is a big announcement because there's still a lot of um, you know, mystery as to what they're going to do with G1 this year. As we know, last year's was phenomenal, but they damn near killed half the roster because it was way too physical and it was way too hard on their bodies, and it's very difficult to work those hard, strong style matches for 11 straight nights. Especially for the guys who go to the semifinals and the finals, where they're working, you know, two matches uh, on the final night, it's difficult. So there's going to be some changes there. So the G1 announcement at the intermission of Dominion is going to be very interesting. Are we going to see four blocks of four guys each? Are we going to see three blocks with six guys? Each? I mean, we don't know what's going to happen here with G1. What we do know is the schedule is going to be spread out a little more, and the blocks are going to be set up in such a way where it's going to be a little bit easier on the bodies of these guys. We do know that. But um, it'll be interesting to see how they set it up, though. So that's something to look forward to. So if you're watching this show live at you know, 2, 3, 4 in the morning, or with your breakfast if you're in Europe, because uh, all you guys in Europe are lucky, you get to wake up, stretch out, get some coffee, some bacon and eggs, or whatever it is you guys eat for breakfast over there, and, uh, you know... Um, Watch New Japan, you know, with your breakfast on on a Saturday morning. You know, here, you know, we in the United States, we got to stay up until all hours. You know, by the time these shows are wrapping up, the sun's starting to come up. You know, and uh, 
it's kind of rough, especially you got to go to work the next day. But you know, if you want to watch the live wrestling, those are sacrifices you got to make. And if you, you know, if if you're like me and Rich is a slave driver and he's cracking the whip and he wants those reviews done, you know, you got to stay up and watch this stuff and do your job. So you know, that's the position I'm in. Let's go over the card a little bit. Aside from the main event and the junior heavyweight title match, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff on this card. I think this is a better card than people are giving it credit for. There's a lot of tag matches on this card. And, you know, when you look at a New Japan card and you see a bunch of tag matches, you know, you roll your eyes because, you know, it's a bunch of meaningless stuff. And they usually throw one guy in there who's, you know, the obvious guy to take the fall. But I, there's some angles here with these tag matches. Let's let's run down the card. The opener is the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team title match, uh, which usually opens most of these big shows. we got the Young Bucks defending against Kushida and Alex Shelley. Um, the Young Bucks... If the voting was held today, I think they would clean up on uh, Tag Team of the Year for 2014. They've been tremendous. And um, they've done it in a number of places, just like they did last year. But particularly in New Japan, they've really stepped up their game, and they've really added some juice to the Junior Tag Team division, which had gotten incredibly stale. Uh, with the same cast of characters uh, trading the belts back and forth, which included the Time Splitters, to be fair. But the Time Splitters have some more juice now, too, because Kushida is coming off a fantastic best of the Super Juniors tournament. He had a great match against Jushin Liger. He had a great finals match against Ricochet, which really, in losing, uh, you could argue was a star-making performance, to be completely honest. And Alex Shelley had taken some time away from New Japan. He had returned for the Super Juniors tournament. So uh, we haven't really seen a lot of Time Splitters lately. So um, this is a tough match to predict. I don't think it's time to take the titles off of the off of the Jacksons yet, but at the same time, I don't know if it's time to beat Kushida again, coming off of uh, that tremendous match against Ricochet. Maybe you want to give him a little momentum, give him a little juice. You know, the Young Bucks have had these titles for a while, and um, you know it wouldn't kill them to lose. Certainly, so I don't think there's any reason why the Time Splitters can't win here. It's really a coin flip match, and I don't know. I can't get a good read on which way they're going to go. And we will have our usual written review – I'm sorry, written preview of Dominion up on the site later this week with everybody on the site who covers New Japan. That would be myself, Rich, Brian Rose, and of course Jason Felix. And we will have all our predictions uh, there. But I reserve the right to change my mind on some of these All right, because some of these matches are coin flip matches. So if I say something on this show and then you see something different in the written review – I'm telling you right now, you can't hold it against me. I'm going to flip. I've been flip-flopping on a lot of these matches. So uh, my final predictions will come in the written prediction, come, uh, the, the written preview coming later this week. You probably expect that. I think uh, Rich, that whipcracker, I think he gave us a Wednesday deadline. So uh, you're looking at Thursday or Friday uh, when we get that up. Probably Thursday because the show obviously goes off late Friday night. So today on the podcast – I'm going to pick Kushida and Alex Shelley to win the titles. How's that? I'll uh, I'll go out on a limb right there in the first match and I'll go and I'll and I'll uh, predict the title change. So there you go. Match number 2. Tetsuya Naito against Tamatanga. Boy has Naito fought. Think about this. Think about this with Naito. The guy wins G1. Comes back from his, uh, let's go back a little further. Comes back from his knee injury. Has his little feud with Yujiro, the guy who put him out in the storyline. Gets through that. Puts that in his rear view. Goes into G1. Wins the thing. Challenges for the IWGP heavyweight title. 
He wasn't getting over. Uh, there's varying opinions as to why. If you read Yotsume's translations of some magazine interviews and whatnot from some of the top stars in New Japan, uh, they heavily imply, not even imply, they'll flat out tell you his promos didn't get over with the fans. So, look, obviously I don't understand Japanese, but I understand fan reactions, and I can totally see where they're coming from. He gave some promos, especially the one after, G1, after he won G1, and it just fell completely flat. And you know, at the time, I thought it's just because they didn't want to, didn't want to see him win. But maybe it was just that the promos were shit, and that's something that the language barrier isn't going to be, you know, allow me to analyze. But if guys like Nakamura and Tanahashi are saying it, I tend to believe it. Um, there's some people who say the promotion didn't get behind them strong enough. I I don't know if I buy that. I mean, the guy won G1. I mean, you know, how much stronger you want to get behind him? At that point, it's up to him to take the ball and run with it. So you know the rest of the story. The match against Okada actually got voted into the semi-main event position. And uh, Tanahashi and Nakamura got double the votes and ended up main eventing Tokyo Dome for the Intercontinental title. Which, in hindsight, isn't nearly the big deal, as big a deal as people thought it was at the time. It really didn't matter. I mean, they were going to elevate that Intercontinental title anyway because they were changing, as we talked about earlier, they were going to change their promotional model anyway. And they really want that Intercontinental title to be 1B, you know, to the 1A. You know, the IWGP title is still going to be the most important title. But the Intercontinental title, they want it to be right on its heels. And they're doing it, and they're, you know, they're bringing that Never title, you know, right up on the heels of the Intercontinental title as well. Don't be shocked if that Never title starts headlining some shows. Especially, you know, with Ishii as champion. Because they've created a new star with Ishii this year. Make no mistake about it. And don't be surprised if even further down the line, you see the tag team title start headlining some shows, especially if Tanahashi and Makabe win. And we'll talk about that in a couple minutes. But anyway, Naito, he's gone from winning the G1, co-headlining the Dome. We'll be nice. We'll be nice about it. We'll say he co-headlined the Dome, challenging for the IWGP Heavyweight title. And now he's in the prelims in the second match on the card against Tamatanga, a guy who's not pushed. Bottom guy in Bullet Club. And it's only June. It only took six months for this guy to fall all the way back down the card. And look, some of that is I don't know what to do with him. You know, you, you know, it's a deep roster. People get lost in the shuffle. They, they don't know what to do with Yuji Nagata, so they sent him to Noah. You know, and he's a GHC champion. He ain't know what doing. He, he's been in Noah all year. So they just don't know what to do with that. They guys get lost in the shuffle sometimes. And there's some of that. But he, he clearly lost his feud to Ishii over the Never title. Lost the title to the guy and then, you know, ended up losing the feud. And here he is, second match on the card. He's going to beat Tamatanga. But I tell you what, if he lost that match... It wouldn't shock me. It'd surprise me, but it wouldn't shock me. Because they've been using Naito to make people. And he's been doing a great job of making people. I, In fact, the fact is, he slipped down the card, but I think he's having a tremendous year. I mean, that match against Bad Luck Fale, which set up Fale for, for the main event here, you know, Naito worked his ass off in that match against Fale to make Fale look like a million bucks. Because Fale just stands there. I'm not a big Folly guy. 
I mean, that was Naito versus a six foot seven, you know, brick wall. I mean, that's what that was. I don't know how tall he is. I assume he's about probably about six six, six five, six six. I doubt he's six seven. But uh, the point is, that was all Naito. I mean, he bounced all over that ring. His facial expressions were great. He's done a great job putting people over and making people look good. Ishii and Fale are two obvious examples. And, you know, this is how far he's fallen. Second match on the show. So maybe it's a placeholder kind of deal. Maybe he'll win here and then there's something for him down the line. I hope he does. I mean, I'd be disappointed if he won G1 again. I don't think that's going to be the move. And I'm not quite ready to preview G1 until we see what the the uh, the blocks look like. So we'll do that down the line. But uh, third match, Yuji Nagata and Tomo Akihama against Goto and Shibata. Now, this is one of those tag matches I talked about at the beginning of the show where on paper it looks like a throwaway, but it really isn't. I've been preaching how it looks like they're pushing Goto and Shibata towards a uh, IWGP tag team title match feud with Tanahashi and Makabe. The only match they've lost as a team has been the Tanahashi and Makabe. And Tanahashi and Makabe have earned a title shot thanks to that victory. They've beaten everybody else. And uh, they'll probably win this as well because Hanma clearly sticking out like a sore thumb. He's probably going to take the fall here. But something kind of changed my outlook on the last show. It looks like they're kind of setting up a Yuji Nagata Shibata feud. That doesn't really do much for me. I'd, I'd rather see them as a team challenge Tanahashi and Makabe, who I assume are going to win, but we'll, we'll get to that match in a couple minutes. Um, so I, you know, I don't know. I, you know, they had a face-off after the match, you know, last month, and uh, Nagata and Shibata. So that might be the direction they're going here as well, facing them off again. So we'll, we'll have to see. Uh, Goto and Shibata will win. The question is, are they going to break this all? Yeah, because if they, if they, if there's a singles feud between Nagata and Shibata, what do you do with Goto? What are you do with Goto? So you know, it just I don't know. It's a weird situation. Match number four, NWA World Tag Team Title: Tenzan and Kojima defend against Archer and Davy Boy Smith Jr. Now Lance Archer, Davy Boy Smith Jr. I thought they were going to win it in the three way last month. But shockingly, Tenkoji retained. And shockingly, it was a damn good match. You know, even with Rob Conway and, and Wes Briscoe involved, and, you know, we all know Wes Briscoe's limitations, it was a hell of a match. You know, your typical scramble style, Texas Tornado, no tags, you know, it, for a three way, you know, match, it was good. And they've done a real good job protecting Wes Briscoe, and I was shocked at the outcome. I really thought the Killer Elite squad would take the titles back to the United States. It doesn't make sense to keep these titles on Tenkoji. You know, at the time, Ten, uh, Kojima was still NWA World Champion. He has since lost that title back to Rob Conway. And if, if you're interested, by the way, uh, he had four title defenses when he came to the United States. He had two for NWA Southern All-Star Wrestling, uh, NWA Saw against Jeremiah Plunkett and Damian Wayne. The Damian Wayne match is on YouTube. I haven't seen it yet, but somebody directed me to that. So you could see the title defense against Damian Wayne. He then defended the title against Carson for NWA Houston. And then, of course, he defended it against Rob Conway in Las Vegas at the Cauliflower Alley Club, which is where he lost it back. So the Damian Wayne match, and I've been, listen, I haven't seen the match yet, so I might end up looking like a goof. But Damian Wayne's a guy who I've been preaching on this podcast – 
as somebody who the NWA should really bring in uh, to, to you know for these NWA uh, title matches on these shows because I think that he would work very well with Kojima and work very well with the New Japan roster. He's a real talented guy who's just really never gotten a break. And uh, so that's on YouTube if you want to check that out. Hopefully it's good now because I've been pumping up Damian Wayne for months. I'm going to look like an idiot if the match wasn't any good. From what I'm told, it was okay. That's a little scary. Oh, and when, when someone says a match is okay, okay, first of all, it means it wasn't it wasn't very good. It probably means it wasn't very good. Second thing, it's usually it, maybe it involves people that they like who they don't want to rip, so they just call the match okay. You know what I mean? So you got to be careful when people say a match is okay. But I'm gonna watch it later and judge for myself. But uh, I think Killer Elite Squad. I picked them last month. I'm gonna pick them again. I mean, I just think it makes sense to take those titles. You know where the NWA titles back to where they could be defended on a more consistent basis in the United States. I mean, there's a million NWA affiliates, and there's no tag team champions right now, so uh, that's where I think that's going. Next up is Kota Bushi versus Ricochet, and I'll tell you what, I'm picking Ricochet here. I'm picking Ricochet. I think uh, I wouldn't have if the news didn't break, if Meltzer didn't break the news that New Japan is trying to book Ricochet moving forward. I don't know how Dragon Gate feels about that. I don't know what his Dragon Gate obligations are. He was presented as a Dragon Gate wrestler in the Super Juniors. Um, I don't know if he's going to do the two-promotion deal that Kota Ibushi does with New Japan and DDT. You know, we, I've kind of already talked about this match, but the other thing I didn't mention was this is like a wacky interpromotional thing. Yeah, Kota Ibushi, the DDT wrestler who's the New Japan champion – Facing the Dragon Gate wrestler, who's the Dragon Gate USA champion. Yeah, yeah, a million promotions here in the mix. So, interesting from that angle, too. Politics at play. But I think Ricochet will win it. I really do. And that means I'm picking three title def- uh, title changes, and I'm picking a fourth later on. So there's five title matches here, and I'm going to pick four title changes. As I said, I reserve the right to change my mind when we do the written review. You know what? Scratch that. Joe Lanza is a man of his word. The matches I picked today on the podcast, I'm going to stick with that in the written review. I'm going to go out on that limb. I'm going to pick four title changes on this show, which definitely means I'm wrong. But I'm going to take Ricochet here. Then they're going to announce the G1 blocks, and then they're going to come back from intermission with a uh, another tag match. Toru Yano and Kazushi Sakuraba against Minoru Suzuki and Takashi Azuka. So the Yano-Suzuki thing continues to move forward, but it kind of does and it kind of doesn't because they're, they're clearly moving towards a Sakuraba-Suzuki singles match, which has a lot of people excited. Not me so much, because I, listen, if I could cut one wrestler from the New Japan roster, if I had that power, I'd pick Sakuraba. I'd get rid of him. Number one, I don't like his style. I don't like the work shoot stuff. It does nothing for me. Number two, you're probably saying, well, you know, why wouldn't why wouldn't you take one of these older why wouldn't you pick Nakanishi or something? I'm gonna tell you why. Because they don't feature Nakanishi. I don't have to worry about seeing him and you know he's in the opener in an eight man, he tags in for three minutes, and then he's gone. I gotta deal with Sakuraba in the middle of the card. Guy gets pushed. I'd get rid of him. You know what I mean? It's like saying WWE, pick a guy to get rid of that you don't have to deal with anymore. 
well, look, I can pick some guy on the bottom of the card who just works main event and superstars or never gets on TV, someone I don't like. But why would I do that? I don't have to deal with those guys anyway. I'd pick Bray Wyatt because I hate Bray Wyatt. Bray Wyatt annoys me. I fast-forward him every time he comes on the screen. I was watching Raw earlier today. Bray Wyatt came on. I compulsively went for my remote to hit the fast-forward button. But then I realized I was watching live, and I couldn't skip him. And it drove me nuts. And he gave another cringe-worthy promo. His promos are the shits. I Listen, Bray Wyatt is the most overrated promo in wrestling. There's no question. And all I could think of when he was in there giving that promo tonight on Raw, and I'm sitting there and I'm, you know, I'm flipping channels, I'm checking baseball scores, I come back, he's still talking. I'm like, will somebody please hit Rusev's music so Rusev could come in here and mule kick this guy into next week so I don't have to deal with him anymore? I love me some Rusev, you guys know that. Bray Wyatt, though, get lost. Had enough of him. But yeah, Sakuraba, that's the guy, you know, adios, that'd be my cut. But uh, this will probably be the worst match on the show, as is the trend with these uh, Suzuki-Yano tag matches. And look, on their own, I like Suzuki, and I like Yano. I'm just so tired of seeing them together. And um, I have no interest in Sakuraba-Suzuki, so um, who do I think will win this match? I don't have a clue. Uh, I will say that... uh, Yano and Sakuraba win either via DQ when Azuka uses the iron fingers again or Azuka uh, takes a fall. So, But in reality, I, I don't care. I just I want it to be quick and painless and over with. Um, match number seven. Kazuchiko Okada and Tomohiro Ishii are taking on the team of AJ Styles and Yujiro Takahashi. So, essentially, uh, this is one of those deals where you've got the two singles matches that are coming up. And they're going to face off in the tag match. Okada, of course, chasing AJ Styles in the IWGP Heavyweight title that used to be his. And Yujiro appears to be the next challenger for Ishii. And, of course, Ishii ran in and saved Okada from a second Yujiro run-in in his last match against Styles, which Styles went on to win anyway. It's going to be a hell of a match. And, um, you know, I, I really don't have a prediction for this. Well, I guess I'm going to have to go out and give you guys something. But uh, it, 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 I would presume that one of the challengers is going to pin one of the champions. So, you know, Yujiro is going to either beat Ishii here, or Okada is finally going to get a pinfall on Styles. Okada has faced Styles three times. He lost the title to him the first time. He lost the three-way, which involved Michael Elgin, but Okada was not involved in the finish. And Styles beat Okada in the uh, championship singles rematch last month. So it would stand the reason. I just talked myself into Okada and Ishii winning this match, and I think AJ Styles is going to take the fall. How about that? I think the champ loses here. Match number eight, IWGP Tag Team Titles, Carl Anderson and Doc Gallows, who have not been good champions. Uh, they defend against Tanahashi and Makabe. Tanahashi and Makabe came up together through the New Japan system, and they're getting a little older. Tanahashi is beat up. His back is destroyed. And putting him in a tag team, you know, 
extends his career and allows him to work an easier style than long 30-minute singles matches at the top of the card. And I think it makes a lot of sense to team those guys together. I thought it was a brilliant move by the Booker's uh, Ghetto and Jado. And I think they'll win the titles here. I think Anderson and Gall- Gallows in particular has really disappointed me. Really disappointed. I really thought he was going to have a great New Japan run. He just hasn't. And um, I think they'll beat them here. And I think we'll see new champions. And I'm hoping whatever you know, Shibata is going to do with Nagata doesn't take up a ton of his time. Because I would love to see an extended feud between the teams of Tanahashi and Makabe and Goto and Shibata. I think that's a great dynamic. I think they could have great matches. And of course, Tanahashi had those words for Shibata in his book. Uh, you know, most of the roster is still bitter at Shibata for jumping ship during the dark days to go fight MMA and be terrible at it. And now he comes back when things are good and business is up and there's money to be made and there's fame to be had. And, you know, guys like Tanahashi and Nakamura have spoken out. You know, we were here during the dark days working our asses off, hurting our bodies, helping this thing turn around, and you just jump back in when things are good. So, you know, there's a legitimate gripe there that these guys have towards Shibata. And uh, it was an interesting dynamic between Tanahashi and I would like to see them go back down that road and let these two teams go at it. So hopefully that's, you know, maybe these predictions are more wishful thinking. I'd like to see them win the titles and feud with Goto and Shibata. That's what I want to see, man. Do it for Joe Lanza. Give me something I want to see for once. Main event, Shinsuke Nakamura defends against Bad Luck Folly. Look, Folly can very well win this match. Um, they could do a deal where the Bullet Club has all the titles. Fale could win here. Yujiro could beat Ishii next month. And they could do the gimmick where Bullet Club has every title. You know, that's that's possible. Um, I wouldn't do it. I don't think Fale's ready to hold the 1B title. I don't think he is. You really have to... Look, he's had two really good singles matches. One... His opponent bumped all over the place for him and, and carried him. A classic carry job by Naito. I mean, a, a perfect example of why they call Naito a wrestling genius was that match. He was fantastic and he carried him. And the second good singles match Fale had was only because he accidentally crushed Nakamura's face at the end of New Japan, did New Japan Cup final. There was nothing to that match until Nakamura's face got crushed. So he kind of, you know, bad luck, kind of lucked into that one. Otherwise, he's only got that one great match on his resume, and it was a carry job. So I'm not sure this guy's ready to hold the second most important title in the company. So I'm going to pick Nakamura. I can't pick five title changes. That's ridiculous. Um, Probably going to be wrong about one of the other four, but I think Nakamura retains here. I like to, you know... There's the thought that maybe Nakamura loses and that sets it. Look, I've been picking Nakamura to win G1 for months and months and months since the end of the last G1. So he could lose here and then they rehab him in G1 and he wins G1. And then obviously Okada at some point is going to beat Styles back for the title. I mean, let's face it. And then we finally, at Wrestle Kingdom in the Dome... 
get Nakamura Okada. How about that? I mean, that's one of the, 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 the matches that they've really kept these guys apart. I think they may have faced each other. Did they face each other in the 2012 G1? I don't know. And our producer is off tonight. But I do know that they've largely kept those two apart. And they're, you know, they're in, the, they're both in chaos. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, they're, they're not going to naturally be in, in matches against each other unless it happens in tournaments. And they, they try to keep those guys apart in the tournament settings the best they can. I mean, it doesn't always work out where they keep stable mates apart. But, for, you know, they, they do try to protect the big matches between stable mates. And, and, you know, that this is obviously the money match that people have been talking about for a year and a half or two years now, Nakamura versus Okada. So they could be setting that up for, for, for the Dome. Nakamura, you know, and if Nakamura is going to win G1, you know, may, maybe he does lose the IC title to Fale here. You know, there's been a long-term plan uh, to push Fale. From the minute he joined with, joined up with Prince Devitt, the long-term plan was to push that guy. And they stick with their long-term plans in New Japan, for better or worse. And I was right. Um, the producer is talking in my ear, and in 2012, they were in the same G1 block. So that's the last time I believe they had a singles match. Uh, Nakamura and, and Okada. Now, I, I don't remember a thing about that match. I, I, I don't remember anything about it. Nakamura won it in 16 minutes, but I don't. I have no recollection of that match. I don't know if it was good. I have no idea. So, you know, and if I watch everything, and I'm into this New Japan, and I can't really remember the match. I mean, it wasn't that big a deal. And you got to remember that was only a couple months into the Okada push. And he ended up winning that G1, obviously. I do remember that much. Beat Carl Anderson in the final. Close but no cigar Carl Anderson. Could never seem to get over the hump. So. That's your Dominion show. And, uh, you know, I think it's going to be a pretty good show. I, I think that there's no way that Kota Ibushi and Ricochet won't deliver. I mean, my bar is set so high for that match. And I still think that they'll meet the bar. The bar for that match is match of the year. The bar for that match is serious match of the year contender. Four and a half stars or better. That's a fair bar for those two guys. To my recollection, they've never faced each other. Uh, yeah, I'm probably wrong again. They may have faced each other in a Super Junior or something. Um, but never in a match this big. And these are arguably the two best juniors in the world. The two men who are regarded as the two best juniors in the world. And they're both really hot right now, too. Which speaks to Dylan Hale's point that this is the biggest IWGP Junior Heavyweight title match in at least the last decade. You know, if Mystico would have had the title when he was hot in 2006 as opposed to 2008 or whatever it was when he had it, you know, some of his defenses could have been this big. But by the time Mystico won the title, he had cooled off a little bit. In fact, he was... He was just a couple weeks away from from going to WWE at that point. He had really cooled off in Mexico. So, um, 
you know, you know the, the first Devin Abushi was big, but it wasn't this big coming in. Ricochet and Kota Abushi. Uh, no, no. See, 2013, no, they weren't in the same block. Kota Abushi uh, was not even in the best of the Super Juniors last year. So, Ricochet, of course, was in it last year, but did not even make the semifinals. So, so to my knowledge, they haven't faced each other. I don't know where they would have faced each other. There's no, they've never been in the same promotion. So it's a huge match. First time match. Um, it should be great. And then, uh, you know, you just need, I think, the opener, the, the junior tag title will deliver. This is the Young Bucks. I, I trust them to deliver with the splitters. And then you just need two more of these, you know, matches to, to come through. And I, you know, I'm sure a couple of these tag matches will come. Look, this isn't going to be the show of the year. But there's no reason it can't be a good, a solid show. Could be a solid show. And, you know, don't sleep on Nakamura. Even though Fale, I'm not buying him at all. Not a fan. This is, this is Shinsuke Nakamura in a main event of a big show. I trust that guy. So he can get something out of this bad luck folly. So we'll see. So there's your Dominion preview. Like I said, we'll have that written preview later this week. Hopefully by Thursday. So look for that by Thursday. Switching gears on this abbreviated edition of the Voices of Wrestling podcast. Um, we got an email today from Pat Buck, co-owner of Pro Wrestling Syndicate. And uh, as you guys know, it's kind of become a tongue-in-cheek thing, a running joke around Voices of Wrestling where um, we break Pro Wrestling Syndicate news, you know, the scoops with a Z, and our Twitter followers get a big kick out of it. And it's kind of like a tongue-in-cheek thing where most people are in on the joke. Because PWS always has these wacky matchups, and they're, they're self-aware of what they are and their place in, in the wrestling world, and um, you know that, they aim to do that. So, um, but on last week's show, we reported on their uh, their SuperCard event in Rowway, New Jersey, and uh, Pat Buck took offense to some of the things that we said on the show, and and he sent us an email. Um, to address some of those things and a very cordial email, very nice email, professional, very cordial. Um, he wanted to make it clear. He's not angry, but he just want to tell his side of the story. It turns out some of the guys that work for him heard the podcast and pointed him in that our direction. He's not a regular listener or anything. And a lot of the guys that work for him were fired up about some of the things that we said on our show. And uh, he listened to it, and it didn't really make him upset, but there were some things that he wished to clear up. And um, we responded to his email. More specifically, I responded to his email. And uh, basically why – what? listen, I wasn't we were, I wasn't going to talk about this on the podcast this week. But um, Pat wanted to come on our show as a guest, and he said he'd be open to answering any question. I believe him. I believe he would have answered any of our questions if he came on the show. But as we told you guys two weeks ago on our show, 
when the Michael Elgin thing happened, where Michael Elgin declared on Twitter that he was charging to do podcasts, unless you're Stone Cold Steve Austin. Uh, during that diatribe that, that we went on on that show, we we let you guys know that at, you know when we first started Voices of Wrestling, we were doing interviews every week. And we were really hustling, and we were working to get interviews, and uh, we interviewed a ton of big names. We've interviewed people from every promotion. Uh, we've worked with uh, just about uh, every major promotion. We've had New Japan guests, TNA guests, WWE guests, guests from every you know independent promotion in between, uh, big names, small names, medium names, all kinds of names. And if you've noticed, we've tailed off doing interviews, and um, – we just don't do them as much anymore. And and like we explained to you guys two weeks ago, the fact of the matter is when we do interview podcasts, even the, 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 the even the most downloaded interviews we do get about half of the downloads and half of the hits and half of the listens that these shows get. We don't understand why that – I mean we do understand why that is and we explained it on that show and I'm not going to go over it all again. But the bottom line is – it's because of people like Cole Cabana and Stone Cold Steve Austin and Chris Jericho and Pat Buck who have podcasts and are in the business. Listen, if Kurt Hawkins gets released by the WWE and he does the podcast loop and he does Pat Buck's show, Stone Cold Steve Austin's show, and Voices of Wrestling, and you want to hear a Kurt Hawkins interview, you're not going to listen to Voices of Wrestling. You're going to listen to Stone Cold Steve Austin and Pat Buck. Because, number one, he, he, he knows Pat Buck. He's comfortable with Pat Buck. And Stone Cold Steve Austin is in the bit. Listen, these guys are more comfortable. We're not in the brotherhood. These other guys are. The Colt Cabanas, the Chris Jerichos, the Pat Bucks, the Stone Cold Steve Austins, the Jim Rosses. Of course you're going to listen to those guys interview because the guest is going to be more comfortable. The guest is going to be more open. And the interviewer has the ability to ask questions that we simply don't because we're not in that brotherhood. So that's my theory as to why when we do interviews, nobody listens. We love doing interviews and we're going to keep doing interviews. We've tried to creatively find ways, like last week's show, for example, we had Max Mihan from Inspire Pro Wrestling, but instead of doing a separate podcast that nobody listens to, we worked it into our regular weekly podcast. We tried something new. But that didn't work either because people didn't like that. They didn't like having an interview in the middle of our podcast. So, you know, we tried something new. That didn't work out either. The reason I bring that up is uh, Pat got annoyed. Well, I don't know if he got annoyed, but he was a little miffed that we weren't going to have him on the show. Um, but the fact of the matter – and he kind of – on because – he talked about the situation on his podcast earlier today, and the implication was the reason why these guys won't have me on their show is because they don't want their listeners to hear the truth out of my mouth to make them look bad. That was the implication, but that's not that's not the truth. That's not the truth at all. We just we're not doing interviews right now, and the fact of the matter is we didn't even close the door to interviewing uh, Pat. We said that we'd leave the door open and maybe we'd set something up down the line. But the reason I'm bringing that up is to show that we're not afraid of Pat Buck telling his side. I'm going to direct you guys, our listeners, to his show. It's called Two and a Half Wrestlers. You can Google it. 
Maybe we'll put the link on the page here. Um, but he does the show with Kevin Matthews. And Jay Silva. And it's called Two and a Half Wrestlers. You just Google Two and a Half. It's the first page that comes up. Listen to show number 93 with Kurt Hawkins. Number 93, Kurt Hawkins, Three and a Half Wrestlers. That's the show where they address the things that we said and that we reported about PWS on last week's Voices of Wrestling podcast. So you can hear Pat Buck's side of the story. So Pat doesn't think that we're just trying to you know, bury what he has to say or not let people hear what he has to say. By all means, go listen to that show. I listened to it earlier tonight, and nothing Pat said on his show was unfair. There are some minor details that I'm going to get into that you know didn't, weren't necessarily true or that got twisted, but I don't think Pat did any of that intentionally. That's just what happens when you know he listened to our show, he sent us an email, we sent one back, and some of the things got a little twisted. There were some minor details that weren't true. Uh, from his end, but I, these are little things. I'm not upset about them because they're little things. There's nothing major. He didn't misrepresent my words or Rich's words or anything that we reported or spoke about on last week's show. So in the interest of allowing Pat Buck his say to our listeners, if you guys would like to hear what Pat Buck had to say about what we had to say about his promotion – Go listen to episode 93 of Two and a Half Wrestlers, and you can hear Pat Buck's side of it. He goes on for about, you know, they, they, they discuss it. They discuss it for about 40 minutes. In fact, he reads his entire email that he sent us. You can, you can see exactly what he had to say to us, and I'm not going to read it over again. If you want to hear the email, he, he reads it, and then he reads ours. He skims through ours as well. He left off the final paragraph where we kind of left it, listen, we didn't invite him on the show. I'm not suggesting that. Because like I explained, listen, two weeks ago we said we were getting away from interviews. So, you know, if Pat wants to go listen to the show two weeks ago, I'm sure he doesn't. It's not that big a deal. But we, we, we said two weeks ago that we were getting away from interviews. So this is not something we concocted to avoid talking to Pat Buck. We may have Pat. You know, if Pat wants to come on, we might do it. I, I don't know. But we, you know, look this week for example, we had a hard enough time scheduling our own podcast, let alone squeezing an interview in. And the fact of the matter is, the reason that we're kind of getting away from the interviews because nobody listens to them is we're running a business too. Now look, not on the scale of what Pat Buck does. Pat Buck runs a wrestling promotion. I'm not comparing what we do to what Pat Buck does, but our website is a business, and we can't use critical front page space on our website. For podcasts that get half the number of hits than our regular podcasts do, it doesn't make any business sense, which is why we've slowed down our interviews from what our pace was when we started the website in 2011. I mean, we, you know, we, we've got to make money too off of this thing. So, you know, just, you know, just that's, you know, for Pat, if he happens to listen to this, Pat, we weren't feeding you BS. We just we, we're not doing interviews. We're, we're slowing down. That that wasn't a BS excuse we had. We said it two weeks ago on our own show. We explained it to our listeners that they were going to be hearing less interviews. So it wasn't it wasn't BS that we were feeding you. And I have no problem with. Listen, I listened. 
I listen to Two and a Half Wrestlers tonight, and I don't have any problem with anything he said. And I don't want people to think that Pat Buck was planning on going on his show to attack Voices of Wrestling. That's not the case. He sent us an email and offered to come on our show first to talk about this stuff. Because we didn't schedule an interview, then he decided to talk about it on his show. So don't paint Pat Buck as some kind of uh, – he's not out to get he, – he, he offered to come on our show and do it, which is pretty gracious. And when he didn't feel like that was going to happen, eh, well, he addressed it on his show, which he has every right to do. He has a right to defend himself, absolutely. And he did. And I have no problem with it or anything that he said. There's some things I disagree with, but so what? Listen, the fact of the matter is if you're going to have a wrestling website and you're going to do these podcasts and you're going to give opinions and you're going to report things, people are going to get mad at you sometimes. And, you know, Pat even said – Pat's not even mad. And I believe – you know, he said in the email he wasn't mad. And if you listen to his podcast, he even says he's not mad. You know, his, his, his crew is more mad than he is. He's a little annoyed about some things. He doesn't like the fact that we referred to him as a carny. He's a guy who says he takes a lot of pride in doing things the right way and being honest. So he didn't like being called a carny. He said it hurt him. Now, people who listen to our show on a regular basis know that when promoters do things that we consider shady, we call them carnies. If that offended Pat Buck, I'll apologize for that. I'm sorry I called you a carny. It's sort of this uh, kind of deal where a comedian doesn't want to be called a hack. So if, if that word's offensive to him, I apologize. But, you know, there's some other things that he said on his show that I didn't necessarily agree with, but it's little things. It's, it's, it's little things that I'm not, I, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. It's his show, he can say what he wants. One thing I wanted to clear up was the Starman thing. I went back and listened to our tape, and uh, you know, on the Two and a Half Wrestlers, they imply that we said that the original Starman had some sort of sexual relations with somebody's wife, girlfriend, whatever. Well, Rich isn't here to defend himself, but I can confidently say that Rich said that in jest. And if you go back and listen to the tape, and I did, every time Rich says – or implies that that's why they changed who plays the role of Starman. I said about 15 times during the podcast, I never said that. That's not what I'm implying. That's not what I said. So Rich was just goofing around as far as the Starman things go. Okay. The fact of the matter was I didn't want to get into why they changed Starman because I didn't feel comfortable exposing people who were under the masks and whatnot. But it turns out that that's been full disclosure amongst the PWS fans anyway, so you know, it, it wasn't. It turns out it wouldn't have been that big a deal. But then Rich was just goofing around. You know, Joey Janela was the first star man, and and he went and worked for uh, JC Jersey Championship Wrestling, who had beef with PWS, so they stopped. You know, one thing led to another, and then they gave the gimmick to John Silver. He's the current star man. Um, the people that go to shows tell me that they preferred the first star man. I don't know. I don't know. But Rich was goofing around. 
So, and the next time we do a podcast, I'm sure Rich will clear that up. So he's goofing around. And I said a million times, no, that wasn't the case. I never said that. So Rich was just goofing around. I just didn't want to expose who was under the masks. I just that, – that, that was the whole deal with that. Now, as far as the attendance goes, I'm going to defend us here. We reported initially on Twitter 920 to 1,000. Then on the podcast, we said the same thing, but then we used the 1,000 number about four or five times. Because PWS reported 1,591 fans, which in Pat's email, which because he read it on the air on his show, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disclose here, his words, was it 1,591 people? Nope. His words, nope. You know, I've been saying all along they inflate the attendance, and they do, and he explained why. He said his partner, Eric, likes to do that. Okay, so Voices of Wrestling counted about a thousand people. Now, here's the thing about it: we give we give you know estimate we give estimated attendance at every show we go to, whether it's me down here in Texas, anywhere our staff goes, Rich in the Midwest, uh, Kevin David in Florida, um, our East Coast correspondents who go to the PWS shows go to every show, Philly, New York, New Jersey. Indie shows. Voice of Wrestling isn't just me and Rich, and I think um, the two and a half, uh, the two and a half wrestlers guys. I may have said two and a half men earlier. That's obviously the the awful TV show, which for some reason kills it in the ratings. Two and a half wrestlers is the name of their podcast. In case I said two and a half men earlier, um, they seem to be under the impression that Voice of Wrestling is just me and Rich. We have a whole staff. We all go to shows and we count attendance. That's what we do. It's just our goofy little thing. We count attendance. And this is not the first promotion to get mad at us for counting attendance. Trust me. <laughs> but, you know, we just call it like we see it. And the funny thing is, Dave Meltzer also reported 1,000 people. So he got the same reports that we got. Not from the same people. And we certainly didn't report our, our information to Dave. But Dave got reports of 1,000 people as well. And that's what he reported in the Observer this week. We counted a thousand. Whoever corresponded with Dave counted a thousand. They concede it's not fifteen ninety one. I'm not going to sit here because nobody cares. Look, the fact of the matter is, they admit that for whatever reason, this guy, you know, the other owner Eric, and he explains it on the the Two and a Half Wrestlers podcast. They just put an estimate up. That's what they do. The estimate always tends to be a little high. Okay. Pat says there was 1,400 people there. So 1,000, 1,400, split the difference if you want. Trust them if you want. Trust us if you want. Trust Meltzer if you want. I don't care. I don't care. I'm going to get worked up about it. So uh, that's the situation there. I just wanted to uh, come on our show and let people know that uh, we did not refuse Pat Buck. We didn't refuse to have him on. We weren't going to sweep this under the rug. He has a right to tell his side. And he did on his show. And if you want to hear his side, go listen to it. It's an interesting listen. He's not mad at us. And I'm not mad at him. I don't, I don't have anything against Pat Buck or PWS. 
So as far as I'm concerned, I mean, you know, may, maybe we'll have Ma at some point. I, I don't know. But I don't think so. I think at this point it's dead. Um, you know, we corresponded. He had his say on his podcast. And, um, you know, I'm having my our say now. And I don't think there's a ton to add. But maybe, you know, it's like I said in my email back to him, you know, maybe down the line. We can do we can do something with them and have them on the show. Who knows? If that's what you guys want, you're the listeners. If you want Pat Buck to come on, and so we could argue with each other, uh, you know, we could passive aggressively argue with each other on the show. You know, maybe that'll make for good radio. I don't know. What do you guys think? You want him to come on? I don't even know if he'll come on now. We might have pissed him off by you know, because his perception was we didn't want him on. That wasn't the case. says, anyway, we have no beef with PWS. People just ask us to talk about it. This is from the email I sent back to Pat. If they showed the same level of interest in some other places we are privy to info to, we'd spend time on those places too, and we sometimes do. People are fascinated with what you guys have going on. And thanks for offering to coming on our show. We've been getting away from doing as many interviews as we used to because no matter how big the name, for whatever reason, those shows produce less hits and downloads than the shows that just feature our goofy opinions. Thanks for opening the door. Maybe we could set something up down the line. So like I said, I, you know, we didn't invite him on the show, but at the same time, we didn't say, get lost. Get lost, pal. We don't want you to come on. It's just, you know, he took it as that. That's fine. I, I can kind of see reading that back where he might have taken it. Like, that, that's okay. But we're going to keep counting attendance when we go to shows. Look, some people think it's silly. And listen, this idea, this idea that you can't, accurately get a decent attendance estimate when you go to a show. I mean, it's, it's bullshit. You can easily count attendance at a show. It's not hard. You count the rows, you count the number of people in the row, and you multiply. It's not difficult. It's not trigonometry. You know, this idea that, you, that it's impossible to count. I think it was Kevin Matthews on their show saying, oh, you can't even count. It's a sea of people. Yeah, you can. You're not counting every single head. You're just getting an estimate. It's very easy to get an estimate. Okay? Let's take it easy. You know, a thousand's a nice head. This isn't, this isn't Ric Flair versus Fujinami in North Korea. Right? It's not 190,000 people. Let's pump the brakes. You can count. You can count rows and count heads and then multiply. It's not that difficult. So this idea that you can't count how many people are in a building is false. I mean, you can count. Count every shell. You know, some people think it's silly that we count attendance, but a lot of people like it. A lot of people want to know. That's why we do it. Well, maybe it's that was wrong. I don't know. It's funny, though, that Meltzer's correspondent came up with the same number. I'm trying to put down PW. If you go back and listen to the audio last week, because I did, I went back and listened, we're actually very uh, complimentary towards PWS. Very complimentary. I mentioned how very few companies are doing that kind of business. How whether it's 920, 1000, 1100, or 14 or 15, 16, those are, that's a great house no matter what. We talked about their business model where, uh, you know, the, the vendors, uh, you know, the whole thing with the vendors and the autographs that we're not going to get into again, how that's, you know, I put that over as being very smart business, so did Rich. They had a very smart operation going over there. We think they do some things that are a little silly. Look, I don't. I don't see the point of putting up fifteen ninety one when that's not the case. Wait till you get a real number. It's not a big deal. You know, we don't see eye to eye on the posters either. He mentioned in his email that 
he doesn't see the big deal in using 20-year-old pictures for wrestlers. You know, I, I disagree with that. I, it, but it's a little – who cares? It's a little minor thing. I get all worked up about that. And yes, other promotions do it, and we rip them when they do it too. If you're going to put a picture of Ox Baker from 1978 on your poster, I don't care if you're PWS or you know whoever. I'm going to rip you for it. I think that's silly. You know, so you know, if we agree to disagree on that, fine. It is what it is. But uh, as far as you know, PWS going on Facebook and asking their fans to you know ask WrestleZone and ask Dave Meltzer to cover them. Hey, look, if you guys are going to get covered, you can't be this thin-skinned either. Because if Dave Meltzer covers your shows, he's going to look for – he's not going to post the attendance that's on your Facebook page. I can promise you that. And if he gets information on you know who worked your shows and what the past – he's going to report that stuff. You can't be annoyed by it. You can't have it both ways. And I think the gist of what Pat wanted from us was – you know. He even says, I just really wish you guys saw the positives and really isn't all caps. Well, we did talk about the positives of PWS. Go listen to it again. But, you know, if, if, if we're going to have a website where we talk about wrestling and wrestling promotions and wrestlers, we have to say what we think is good and we have to say what we think is bad. Now, if you think some of those facts are wrong, that's fine. Like I said, he... I, I encourage everyone to go listen to their podcast because some of the things that we said that uh, they counter that some of those facts are incorrect. That's fine. They have every right to defend themselves and be upset about it too if they feel that those things are incorrect. I Listen, it's like we said in our email back. We talk about on the air or publicly probably 1% of the things we hear from people in wrestling. And that's not just PWS. That's all-encompassing, 1% of the things that I hear from wrestlers, promoters, whatnot, end up on this podcast, on our Twitter account, or on our website. There's a lot of BS you got to sift through when you're dealing with wrestlers and promoters and everything else. Everyone has an agenda. You're always getting worked. But I'll tell you what, everything we've ever reported about PWS, we, you, you guys know what the running joke is here. You know, the Cody Rhodes thing. Now, someone was either working us or it just didn't happen or whatever, but we were – I was confident he was going to wrestle a match in PWS at some point, and it didn't happen. And that's the running joke because we got that wrong, and I was pretty adamant. Someone told me that they were positive that was going to happen, and I took their word on it. And it didn't happen. So what? So we got it wrong. And there may have been other things that we've gotten wrong, and maybe they have a legitimate gripe because some of those things are wrong. But you know, I'll stand behind – 90% of the things that we've said about PWS, good and bad, however you want to perceive them. I'll stand behind them a lot. You guys listen, and you guys follow us on Twitter, and you see it, most of it comes to pass. So, you know, but if you, listen. he His side is out there, and he offered it up to us first, absolutely, 100%. He offered to come on our show and give his side. But we weren't dodging Pat Buck. Go listen to our show two weeks ago. We weren't dodging him. And we didn't even completely close the door on him either. So just wanted to get that out there as well. Just wanted to make sure everybody knew that. Because if you go listen to his show, it's going to sound like 
we told them to go kick rocks. You're not coming on. That's not the case. We left the door open, but, you know, and, and listen, because we didn't have him on, he had every right to go on his show and talk about that. That's fine. And I don't have a problem with a thing that they said. Other than some minor details that, you know, this has taken up enough time and it's silly enough at this point. But, you know, I'm not going to get into the little minor, like uh, the whole thing, the, you know, sponsor and vendor, you know, those two choices of words which cause some confusion. I'm not going to get into that stuff. The point is there are people who put up money for the big stars who come in and sign the autographs. And, and if you listen to their show, they, you know, Pat even describes it as such as well. So we described the situation properly. We called those people sponsors. They called them vendors. So there was a little difference there where things got a little confusing. But like I said, these are little small details, and you know, I, I'm not worked up about it at all. I'm not upset about a thing they said on their show. So, um, you know, so uh, you know, and the thing with the comps, he was upset because we said that there's look. I know for a fact that that I know for a fact that people get in those shows for free. I don't know how many. And I even said that last week. I don't have numbers for you. Now, you know, his counter argument is there's people who just like to say things to look cool. I mean, you know, maybe that's possible. I look, you know, but I I've known people for years who wouldn't lie about things like that who have gotten into PWS shows for nothing. Look, I'm sure that bothers Pat, but, you know, Pat wants to make money on his tickets. So, you know, if that's happening behind his back, I'd be pissed off, too. So. So that's that. Um, like I said, if you want, you know, he reads both email, and I, I don't have any problem with him reading our email on his on the air, either. I don't have any problem with that. I would have read it here if he didn't do it first. I mean, if, you know, it's, it's I don't have any problem with it. So he reads our email with the exception of the paragraph that I already that I read on this show that he left out, which is no big deal. He reads his whole email. He reads our whole email. I don't have a problem with that. So if you guys really want all this PWS voices of wrestling silly you know dirt, you know two and a half wrestlers they do a good job with it, and they do a good you know and they had Kurt Hawkins on the show too. So it's it's a decent and I've listened to their show. I don't I don't listen to it every week, but I've listened to their show several times, and you know they don't pull any punches on the show. It's a good podcast. Just wanted to address that. And I think, believe it or not, that's it for this week. This is this is going to go down as perhaps the shortest podcast in the history of Voices of Wrestling, even going back to the old days. Uh, like I said, this was sort of an emergency deal. I'm recording this thing at about 4.30 in the morning, and I do have work in the morning at the old shoot job. So... Uh, but I wanted to make sure you guys had audio this week. You know, We committed to doing this weekly, and we've been on a good run for about the past six weeks, and I didn't want to leave you guys without a Dominion uh, preview. And I wanted to make sure that uh, that we respond, that I responded to some of the things that, that, that went down today with Pat Buck and PWS. So we stand by 90%, you know, there's always, you know, listen, is it possible, like Pat mentioned on his show, that we get bad information sometimes? Sure. Absolutely. The Cody Rhodes thing is proof. But I'll stand behind 90% of the things that we've reported. 
And I'll always stand behind our attendance counts. Doesn't mean they can't be a hundred off, couple hundred off. We're not counting every single head. We count a thousand. Pack claims fourteen hundred. Let's split the difference and call it twelve. I mean, does it really matter? It, you know, if you're doing a thousand people plus in 2014, like we said last week, that's an awesome house. We never say we said it last week. There's nothing to be ashamed of. TNA's drawing a hundred people to baseball stadiums. WWE's doing 3,000 people at some of their house shows. So. This feels weird only doing an hour. I gotta tell you, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I almost feel like I should be talking about something else. Only two topics and only an hour worth of all, you know, what's going on here? This is not the Voices of Wrestling way. But, uh, next week we'll be back full, full blast. Hopefully, and uh, we'll have the Dominion review for you guys next week on the show. And, uh, you know, Ring of Honor's pay-per-view is coming up this weekend, too. So we'll probably review that as well. And there'll be plenty to talk about. We'll we'll be back to one of our three- or four-hour marathon fests. So uh, get ready for that next week. But uh, for the absent Rich Creech, I'm Joe Lanza. Thank you for listening to Voices of Wrestling. At Farmers Insurance, we know there's a crucial difference between a kick drum pedal and your car's accelerator pedal. Because we covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state.